apologies for not getting this episode out sooner at the end of the last episode where I'd recounted my final Wachuma experience I started thinking about the Vilker experience and I just didn't feel ready to recount the experiences in enough detail to to paint a clearer picture and since then I think I've just been procrastinating because I'm still not sure if I can if I've got the vocabulary to get the message across because even though all the experiences have been <laughs> bizarre this one is even more so for me at least when Don Howard had been explaining what Vilka is and how the ceremony would go death was the common theme I don't mean a obviously a physical death more of a a spiritual ego death for want of a better term and we all had the choice to partake or not in the Vilka I'd already decided I was all in the idea of experiencing death spiritually, emotionally whatever way really intrigued me the Vilka experience took place later on the evening after the final Wachuma ceremony I think there were six of us that decided we would take the Vilka and as we walked into the hut I can remember seeing the Masada lit with candles and it, there was a very for me at least eerie vibe it, it felt like there was something special something powerful was about to happen and we were instructed to remain silent during the whole ceremony which added added to the effect so before I read from my journal about the experience I'll try and explain what Vilka is Vilka is a name given to the Anadenanthera columbrina tree the beans of this tree are roasted to facilitate the removal of the husk followed by grinding with a mortar and pestle into a powder this powder is mixed with a natural form of either calcium hydroxide or calcium oxide and it's this that is the Vilka powder Vilka contains three psychoactive components DMT 5-MeO-DMT and bufotenine bufotenine is also known as 5-HO-DMT so these are all obviously slight variations of dimethyltryptamine and each change in the molecular structure 
can have very differing effects on the person taking them. The main ingredient is the bufotenine, which is a neurotransmitter related to serotonin. It's an alkaloid found in the skin of some species of toads and obviously plants. In our case, obviously, as I explained earlier, it's the powder form that we're taking and it's snorted into both nostrils. And part of our ceremony was to snort the powder through the finger bone of a shaman that died over 2000 years ago, which was an experience in itself. I'm just gonna read the journal entry I'd made the day after the Vilka experience, and I've titled it, The Vilka, What to Say. Stepping up to the Masada after Don Howard gave his death talk, I was intent on dying letting go of the old me. Setting my intention, it was only a brief grounding at the head of the mesa. Then Don Howard explained the process. It took a few inhalations and I seemed to get more than the previous people. After it was deemed I'd had my dose, I left to head to my room. Laying down, I awaited the experience. The fractals, shapes and colours was similar to my previous experiences of smoking DMT, although without the buzzing and the vibrations. It eased off a bit and I wondered if I hadn't had a large enough dose. I went to the toilet and laid back down. The bright, varied colours changed to dark, murky brown and green membranes. These membranes were built of squares. These squares were made up of spiral fractals. I vaguely recall a tree or a stick man pulling me through these membranes, the first being difficult to pass through. I'm unsure how long I was in this state for. I was woken by the sounds of some extreme purging going on in the adjacent rooms. I was soon to get my own taste of this. Laying down on the bed, I at first started smiling manically, then laughing, then crying, then retching, and retching more. I proceeded to feel the urgent desire to either tell someone close to me I love them, or apologise for hurting them. This repeated a number of times until I felt at peace. I still felt dazed and confused as I got dressed and went for some food. I'll try and explain the experience now. Um, I think I was second or third to sniff the Vilka. So I sat and watched a couple of them sniff the powder and it didn't look like a pleasant experience. Um, there was a lot of a lot of powder to be sniffed in both nostrils and it didn't look like it was the easiest thing to snort. Um, obviously you had to try and avoid sneezing so you didn't blow it all out. 
and yeah it just didn't look it didn't look pleasant and when it was my turn to sniff I think I got more than the others for whatever reason Don Howard had decided the dose should be heavier and once I'd taken it all again it wasn't a pleasant experience the powder was really difficult to snort I had to sniff it in both nostrils and ensure the whole dose was taken which took maybe five minutes and it's quite quick acting so as soon as I'd taken the dose I had to head back to the room the ceremonial hut was on what I would call the, the far side of the, the sanctuary so it was away from the accommodation block as such and to get there you had to walk across a long wooden covered bridge and the nickname for this bridge is the bridge to eternity and I can understand why because as I was walking over the Vilka was starting to kick in and the bridge just seemed to never end when I did finally get back to the room the visuals I was experiencing were similar to smoking DMT lots of bright colours fractals, different shapes but this passed and whilst I was laid I'm not sure if I had my eyes closed or not uh, I can remember it was like I'd had melted into the bed and I had no feel of my physical body it was it was like I had no physical body that I'd uh, yeah it, uh, I'd, I'd had no physical body that's the best way I can describe it and the membranes I speak about it was like I was rising through these membranes as if I was underneath water and I was coming to the surface and breach each time I broke the surface there was another surface above it and the the darker the colors got from from green to brown the more difficult the membrane became to break to the point where the, the darkest brown membrane I, I couldn't push through it was like it was made of like rubber and I'd get so far and then I'd get pulled back down and that's where this uh, this tree reached down and pulled me through the final membrane and I'm not sure how long I'd been in this state like I said I had no um, I wasn't connected <coughs> I wasn't connected to the physical realm is the the only way I can describe it sounds of the uh, the extreme purging from next door kind of brought me back into my body there was a lot of a lot of crying a lot of vomiting going on next door so they were obviously having very powerful experiences in themselves 
and this is when I was just laid with a massive smile on my face which was bizarre in itself because I'm laid in a room by myself in pitch black pretty much just smiling manically and then I just started laughing uncontrollably like a like a dose of mushrooms um, just hysterical hysterical laughter but then that passed and there was a cathartic episode of crying I just just sobbing just felt immensely sad relieved and the more I cried the more something something negative was leaving me leaving my body and then I started retching as if I was going to vomit but there was nothing actually coming up and at this stage is when I started feeling I've wrote desire to tell someone close to me I love them or apologize for hurting them but I don't think desire is a strong enough word it was a need there were certain people and events from my past that I'd obviously retained whether I felt guilty or I hadn't dealt with what needed to be dealt with to process the experience so there was certain people that I felt I had to contact and this is uh, this is where the technology came in because I think there was there was maybe three or four people I contacted via well via the internet basically um, whether it was I've got the phone number it was through through some form of social media and because of the time difference they all responded bar one um, and looking back this was a, a process of dealing with I guess it was a form of PTSD for whatever reason I'd there was something deep inside that felt the need to say certain things to certain people whether it was um, I think I contacted my parents to tell them I loved them contacted uh, or tried to contact at least an ex-girlfriend from a long time ago who I'd I deemed I'd treated badly at the time and then there was a, a couple of other friends that I'd maybe he's not apologise for something I'd done to them so the, the, the process this took was I'd have the image of somebody come into my head and it was I couldn't shake it it was it was like I was obsessed with this image and then the experience associated with that person would keep running through my mind up until the point where I had to contact them so I'd contact them and unfortunately like I said I think three out of four responded straight away so I was able to say what I needed to say and then I'd lay down again and the image of somebody else would come into my head and then again 
the experience would just keep rotating, repeating in my head. So then I'd contact that person again, very fortuitously, they'd respond, I'd say what I needed to say, lay down again, close my eyes, again somebody else would enter my head and this like I said this repeated for I think maybe three or four four or five people only one of which didn't actually respond at the time but I found just by messaging the person and saying what I need to, to say was very cathartic and in this case it was my uh, one of my ex-girlfriends that didn't respond but I got across what I needed to get across in the message it wasn't like I needed her acceptance of my apology which I don't know if that's uh, if that's good or bad now I think about it after I'd completed this process there was an immense feeling of peace although I did feel both physically and mentally drained it definitely felt like like a reset like a <laughs> like a death of something in that I'd left I'd left the shell of my old self behind Looking back, there was a lot of lessons to take from all these experiences. Um, overall, like I said, it was it was like I'd wiped the slate clean, and that there was no. I didn't harbour any. Any guilt about any previous poor decisions I'd made. I'd. I'd grown. Uh, emotionally, mentally, as a as a person and it this this sounds fucking crazy it was like i'd left the immature version of myself in peru that that part of me had, had died and that now i was uh, a man for want of a better term and now i understand why ceremonies or rituals like this are used in some cultures where the youth come of age. The Native Americans have naming ceremonies and people's names can change from, they'll have one name when they're really young, maybe it's a, a different name in the youth and then again a different name once they mature. And a good way to describe it is some people are like lakes, they change very little as they age. Some people are like rivers and when you trace a river from its source it can be very small and later on it can be wide and strong. When it meets the ocean it spreads out. Basically this means names should change as the individual changes. And we have this to an extent in 
Western society, which is which was our nicknames. And for me, uh, this is kind of where I left my given <clears throat> my given name of Martin behind, and started using the the label Will. The people that have met me post Wachuma, I guess, only know me as Will. The people that knew me pre Wachuma still often use my my given name. Um, but for me, my identity <laughs> uh, my identity has changed, and I associate myself more with Will than I do Martin. Obviously, we all go through life and have experiences that changes as a person. And I think it's important for both ourselves to recognise how we've changed and for those around us to accept, accept us as we are rather than how we were. And for me, I purposely not kept in touch with people I've known from a from my youth or the more recent years because those people have haven't changed or maybe they have but we've just changed we've gone down different different paths and now the relationships that we had are no longer viable because we're both different people And I guess that's that was one of the big lessons I've had from certainly the Wachuma and the Vilka experiences is to accept myself as who I am, faults and all, and recognise that yeah I do make mistakes. Um, as long as I I try and learn and not repeat the mistakes and that growth is something that continually occurs or should occur through life. Another major lesson or conclusion I've come to from these experiences is one of non-attachment and by that I mean I understand life is fluid that people come and go, things come and go. And I think that stems from this uh, death experience. And the way it feels now is that I am not afraid of dying. only to the extent that I'm trying to live life to the fullest every day and I think if each of us can do that then <laughs> we should have no regrets when it comes to the time of our passing oh that's the theory of it anyway 
for us to experience or appreciate life we have to know death the same as to understand what cold is we need to know what hot is we can't have one without the other and death is such a taboo subject in our in our society at least and I think that helps build people people's fear of death when we can only appreciate life by knowing that it comes to an end that it's that life is finite and if we approach every day like it's a it's a little life every morning as a rebirth and understand that all we have is the moment the present moment because the next moment isn't guaranteed and the way I see it is if I appreciate every moment and I live every moment to the best of my ability and when it comes to the time of my death in theory I should have no regrets because I've embraced each moment another major lesson I've got from all of this is my immunity to the opinions of others in that the opinion of myself is more important than other people's opinions of me because other people's opinions change on a, on a daily basis depending on what they've got going on in the life and I know I have integrity yeah I've made some, some poor decisions in the past and I've hurt people both physically and psychologically but there was never any any evil intent behind it it was just poor decision making on my behalf and all I can do now is endeavour to make good decisions and continue to make good decisions and if I do make a bad decision then I'll review it I'll try and grow from it I'll try not to repeat it and I'll forgive myself for making that poor decision so I'm not carrying anything over from one moment to the next which kind of leads into another major lesson I got from this which is about being present being in the moment not trying to think too much or worry too much about what the future may bring or concern myself with what's happened because I can't change what's happened like I said I can only try and learn from it maybe it's not repeated if I've made a poor decision had an error in judgment but also not worry too much about the future because the future is not guaranteed I also got from from these experiences an understanding that life should be about service to others and that it's not what I can do for myself it's what I can do for others and obviously we still all have to pay the bills we still need to 
put ourselves first and fill our own cup before we can try and fill anybody else's cup. But the, the volunteer work that I've been doing this last year or so, two years, has given me a, an understanding that there's no greater reward than helping somebody else. Our reward systems have been hijacked by social media, video games. Um, the greatest rewards, better than any drug I've ever taken, is when I've helped others when they've been in times of need. And this is something that's hopefully going to be a continuing thread throughout my life. I've tried to recount my experiences to the best of my ability in these podcasts. I hope you've enjoyed listening to them. I haven't bored you too much. Uh, and hopefully you've maybe learned something from my experiences without having to go through the experiences yourself. As they say, a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. The final thing I'd like to say is I want to dedicate these podcasts to Don Howard, who passed, passed recently. Um, I was very sad to hear of his passing, but also very grateful for what he taught me and everything I do in service of others is with his memory in mind.